0: I was listening to that coming into the church this morning, and I was watching these little girls over here, and when the choir was singing, they were just singing away. Y'all need to get up in the choir. We'll get a little higher chair for you. You can get up there and sing with them. Well, today we're going to continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount, and it would be possible to divide the sermon into three broad divisions. It begins with the Christian's character, and we see that in the Beatitudes. If one wants to know what is a Christian, then one can read the Beatitudes and it describes for us what is a Christian. It deals with the Christian's character. The second division would be the Christian's influence. As we live out the Beatitudes, then we become people of influence in this world. We become the salt. In a world that is spiritually corrupting. We become the light in a world of spiritual darkness. So we begin then with the character of a believer, and then the influence of a believer, and then the conduct. From that point on, it is dealing with the Christian's conduct, how we live out our lives. Now, today in the text that we are going to look at, it speaks of our conduct or our relationship concerning the law. How do we conduct ourselves concerning the law? How do we relate to the law? And I would say two things. First of all, we must be in harmony with the Old Testament. Now, the Bible says in Romans 3.31, Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So how then do we relate to the law? We must be in harmony with the Old Testament. But if we are in harmony with the Old Testament, then we are in disharmony with the interpretation of the scribes and the Pharisees because they were wrong in their interpretation. Now then, take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll pick up where we left off last time in verse number 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Rachel shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Alright, if we are speaking about our relationship to the law... Then, what is the law? What are we talking about when we speak about the law? Well, to the Jew, there were four criteria, there were four facets of the law. First of all, there were the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, so that was the law. Secondly, there was the Pentateuch, which is the first five books in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the Jew considered those to be the most important books in the Old Testament. Thirdly, there is the Old Testament. When it refers to the law and the prophets, it is a reference to the entire Old Testament. So when the Jew thought of the law, he is thinking of the Ten Commandments given by God on Mount Sinai... The Pentateuch, the first five books in the Old Testament, and then the entire Old Testament. Fourthly, there was the oral and the scribal law. Now, that was the interpretation of the law. And it is at this point that the simple becomes very complicated. The reason? Lawyers got involved. Everything was rather simple to this point. But in the interpretation, the lawyers got involved, and now it becomes very complex. Now, let me give you an example so you'll understand what they were dealing with. There is the Old Testament law, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You're familiar with that. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What does that mean? We are supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. What does it mean? Well, they said, well, we will interpret that. It means that you don't work on the Sabbath. That, that, because if you work, now you are violating the command. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. How do I keep it holy? Don't work on the Sabbath. But then there were over 1,200 rules that went along with that. What does it mean to work? I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath. What, what does that mean that I am... What is work? And they said, well, we can interpret that. Work means to carry a burden. Okay, I'm not supposed to carry a burden because that is work. And if I work on the Sabbath, then I have not kept the Sabbath. So what then is a burden? And they said, we can interpret that. And they said, a burden is food equal in weight to a dried fig, enough wine for mixing in a goblet, milk enough for one swallow, honey enough to put on a wound, oil enough to anoint a small member, and so forth. Now Barclay wrote, so they spent endless hours arguing whether a man could or could not lift a lamp from one place to another on the Sabbath. Okay, so if I were to move this lamp from this place over here, have I then violated the Sabbath because I have carried a burden and therefore I have worked? Whether a tailor committed a sin if he went out with a needle in his robe... Whether a woman might wear a brooch or false hair. I'm looking around to see if y'all are violating the Sabbath out there. And for some of you, I'm grateful that you are, but you'll go on with that. Even if a man might go out on the Sabbath with artificial teeth or an artificial limb... If a man might lift his child on the Sabbath day. You see how complicated this is getting? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. A very simple command. How do I violate the Sabbath? By doing work. What is work? Over 1,200 rules. They said, well, you're not supposed to carry a burden. They went on to say that on the Sabbath you cannot write. If you write on the Sabbath, then you are not keeping the Sabbath. But what does it mean to write? How much can I write? Is there a... a, a, I can write so much, a paragraph maybe, a sentence maybe. How much can I write? They said, we'll interpret that. He who writes two letters of the alphabet with his right or with his left hand, whether of one kind or two kinds... Does this not sound like lawyers? (laughs) If they are written with different inks or in a different language is guilty. Now, is that clear enough? So you can't write on the Sabbath. If you write on the Sabbath, you are doing work, which means that you are not keeping the Sabbath. They said that healing was work. That's the reason Jesus so often got in trouble, because if He healed on the Sabbath, then He was doing work. And if one did work, then they were violating the command. Barclay said healing was allowed when there was a danger to life, and especially in troubles of the ear, nose, and throat. But even then, steps could be taken only to keep the patient from becoming worse. No steps might be taken to make him any better. So if you got sick on the Sabbath and went to your doctor, the doctor could treat you if your life is threatened so that you do not get worse, but he couldn't do anything to make you get better. Because if he did anything to make you get better, then he is working, and therefore he has violated the Sabbath. Now, that was some of the interpretation given by the scribes and the Pharisees concerning the command. Jesus was at odds with their interpretation. You'll notice in verse number 21, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the courts. But I say to you... Verse number 27, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Verse number 33, you have heard that the ancients were told, but I say to you. Verse number 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you. Verse number 43, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Do you see? He totally disagreed with them. They had interpreted as to what the law meant... But Jesus disagreed with the interpretation that they had given. Now, Jesus summarized the law as reverence. 1,200 rules concerning work, and Jesus summarized the law as reverence. You are to reverence God. And if one reverences God then one keeps the first tablet of the Ten Commandments. You will have no other gods before him. You'll keep his day holy. You'll do all those things because you reverence God. If one then reverences man, then one will keep the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. I will not steal from you. I will not murder you. I will not to covet your property and those kinds of things. So Jesus summarized the law in reverence. We are to reverence God. We are to reverence man. Very simple. But that was Jesus' summary of the law. Jesus respected the law because there is no order without law. Vance Havner wrote, Our world is fast becoming a madhouse and the inmates are trying to run the asylum. It is a strange time when the patients are writing the prescriptions, the students are threatening to run the schools, the children to manage the homes, and church members, not the Holy Spirit, to direct the churches. Such lawlessness always brings... Listen to this. Such lawlessness always brings a dictator... And the last of the line will be the Antichrist, now in the offing, awaiting his cue. We respect law, because without law there is no order. And Jesus from the beginning respected the law. The Bible says in Galatians 4.4, 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Thus the lawgiver became subject to the law. The one who gave the law subjected himself to the law. So Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. Verse number 17. Do you think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets? I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to give meaning to it. I came to fill it full with meaning. I didn't come to abolish it. He said, I didn't come to modify it. Verse number 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. The smallest letter could be our apostrophe. When he mentions a stroke, that is the smallest part of a letter, like the tail on an eye. So he said, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to modify it. He had respect for it, and we also are to have respect for the law. Thomas Lambert wrote, Law is the cement of civilization. When society seems to be coming apart at the seams, it is important to strengthen the rule of law. Law is the alternative to tyranny on one hand and anarchy on the other. Folks, where there is no law, there is no order. Now, we've seen that. We've seen it in the U.K., we've seen it in France, we've seen it in Greece, we're seeing it in America. Where there is no respect for law, then there is no order. Former U.S. Supreme Court Justice Charles Whitaker wrote, Can any thoughtful person reasonably believe that a disorderly society can survive? In all recorded history, none Ever has. History shows that every society which becomes lawless soon succumbed, and that the first evidences of each society's decay appeared in the toleration of disobedience of its laws and the judgments of its courts. Without law, there is no order. Without law, there is no safety. Can you imagine living in a society where there are no laws? It would be an incredibly dangerous society. And where there is no law, there is no justice. So we are to respect the law, and Jesus did. The temptation we have, however, is to pervert the law or twist the law to make it say what we want it to say. Now, a good example of that, of course, would be the Establishment Clause in our Constitution or the separation of church and state. We all know historically why that was given. It was to keep the government from encroaching on the church. But now that has been twisted. And what does it do today? It is used today to keep you out of public society that your voice is not to be heard today because of separation of church and state. We pervert the law. We twist the law to make it say what we want it to and we do so when we do so then we reduce the importance of the law. Look at verse number 21. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Now you know that is a reference to one of the 10 commandments, Exodus 20 verse 13, you shall not murder. But we pervert that, you shall not murder. We pervert that focusing on the act while we ignore the cause of the act, the motivation of the act. We pervert it when we reduce the law's consequences, which is also what they had done. They emphasized civil judgment while they ignored the judgment of God. They... uh, When we we interpret or we twist the law to diminish what it says, then we define it and its justice in very narrow terms. They were only concerned about the judgment that came from the courts rather than the fact that they were violating the laws of God. You remember when David sinned? And David is repenting in Psalm chapter 51, and he cried out against thee, and thee only have I sinned. His recognition that his sin was against God. Now then, it could have been said, no, his sin was against Bathsheba. No, his sin was against Uriah. No, his sin was against his army. But when David confessed his sin, he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. We have a temptation to always twist the law to make it say what we want it to say. So Jesus then laid down three principles in our interpretation of the law. First of all, He emphasized the Spirit, not the letter. When we emphasize the letter, then we narrow the law only to the act. In verse 21, You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. So then, if you had not taken another person's life, you had kept the law. While the anger that caused the act is ignored. In verse number 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. If you then had not committed adultery, then you had kept the law. While you ignored adultery. The lust that motivated the act. So Jesus then committed to the Spirit and looked behind the act. Look at verse 21. You've heard that the ancients were told you should not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. So Jesus then here is dealing with the issue of murder. Now understand that when you are looking at the letter of the law, you're only concerned with one aspect of it. Murder. That's it. And if you don't take someone's life, then you've kept the law. Jesus looked behind that, he looked beyond that. Verse number 22 But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother. Now, there are two words in the Greek for anger. One is thumos, which is speaking of of an anger that just flares up and then is gone. And then there's the word orge that speaks of a a seething anger. That anger that is within us, I have been offended. And that anger that is within me that begins to boil. That is the word that is used here. So Jesus talks about murder, and what he is saying is, is that murder begins here. Murder begins at this point. When I begin to have this anger that is seething within me, that's brooding within me. He says that's where it begins. Now then he goes on from there in verse number 22. And whoever shall say to his brother, Rake, I shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. That word means brainless idiot, silly fool, empty-headed blunderer. Now, I want you to see the progression here because he's speaking about murder, but what he is doing is showing us how it grows, how it progresses. It begins with anger as I feel that someone has offended me, and now then that begins to boil within me, and now then I begin to hold you in contempt. It begins with this anger. You have offended me, and now then I have contempt towards you. He goes on. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. He is not referring to mental capacity at this point. He is talking about the assassination of a person's character. So I want you to see how murder happens. Jesus, as he's dealing with it, not just the act of murder, but he is dealing with the motivation of murder. What causes it? He said, it begins when I am angry. You have offended me, and now I am angry. so that anger begins to boil, it begins to brood inside me. If I don't deal with it, now it becomes contempt. Now I have contempt towards you. and now I want to kill you. That's what Jesus dealt with. He is dealing with the cause, not just the act. That's the reason the Bible says in 1 John three fifteen, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus emphasized a positive understanding because when we look at the law from a negative perspective, then we're only concerned with the act. We don't kill, we don't commit adultery we don't steal we don't covet we don't do any of those things but in verses 23 and 24 and i'm going to hurry because i'm I'm running out of time here he is emphasizing an urgent response to it folks listen when you begin to see that in your life when there is this anger that begins to brood in you and then you begin to have contempt for someone jesus said you need to quickly settle it Quickly settle it. Now, the practical application is watch your thoughts, not just your deeds. Refuse anger, because if you harbor it, then it will grow into the spirit of murder. Control your tongue. Seek forgiveness. If you've wronged someone, then seek forgiveness. Now, let me very quickly, and I want to do this. Because this is always an issue. Where does the law and salvation, how do they fit together? So let me conclude by doing this. How does the law and salvation fit together? Well, you have to understand the limitations of law, and if you don't understand the limitations of law, then you're going to feel like that the law has failed. What does the law actually do concerning salvation? What part does the law play in a person being saved? Well, it exposes sin, but it does not conquer sin. You see, the law is like a mirror. It reflects what's there. When you got up this morning to get ready for church and you looked in the mirror, I know it's frightening. But you look in the mirror and you see what is there, and then you look back a second time, the mirror didn't fix anything, did it? I mean, it's still the same. So... The mirror didn't fix anything, and the law doesn't fix anything. It exposes us, but does not enable us. So, then what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to lead us to Christ and His grace. It exposes sin. That's what the law does it exposes sin, and it does so by setting a standard. Okay, here's the standard that is set by law You shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, all those things. Sets the standard. Now then, we don't measure up to the standard. We fall short. All have sinned and fallen short. So, the law sets the standard. We fail to measure up to the standard, and then the law condemns us for not measuring up. That's what the law does. Let me ask you a question, just, just between us. How many of you have ever been stopped before on the highway for speeding? You can put your hands down. How many of you have ever been stopped before when you're on the highway, and the policeman got out of the car and came over and said, I just noticed that you were driving the speed limit, and I want to congratulate you? <laughs> Anybody? See, that's not what the law does. The law does not congratulate us for doing right. It only condemns us for doing wrong. That's what the law does. So it sets a standard we fail the standard it condemns us to point us to Christ that's the purpose of it that's why it says in galatians 3:24 therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith so then the law then sets a standard. We fail to measure up. It condemns us for our failure that we might come to Christ and receive His grace. The Bible says in Romans ten four, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the law then reveals our condition and drives us to Christ. It reveals to us our condition that we might turn to Jesus and be saved. The song says, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. That's what the law does. That's what the law does. It sets a standard. We don't live up to the standard. It condemns us for our failure that we might come to Christ and receive His grace that we're born into His family and become a child of God. That's what the law does. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the law and its purpose. We thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus through which we are saved. And Lord, today I pray for those who are trying to be right before you by keeping the law and failing again and again. May they understand the purpose of the law today is that they come to Jesus for his grace. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. If you're here without Jesus, would you receive Him today? He stands ready to forgive you, to become your heavenly Father. Would you receive Him? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. And they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.